host Sean Lynn in the pub for a dram with friends where we talk about faith, family, food, and fun. Pull up a chair and I'll pour you a drink. Season four of A Dram with Friends kicks off episode 88 with a gentleman we met down in Pennsylvania, Rich Bioni. Sit back and pour yourself a dram as we listen to him talk about his distilling journey. I'm a little little rusty. It's been a, a couple months since I've recorded one of these, so... No worries. And, and then uh, to have tech, technical difficulties is not a surprise. Well, what happened was, it's on my side, um, my microphone or my um, my camera on my laptop yep. died about half a year after I bought the laptop, which was in 2016 or 17. Okay. And it's a hardware problem. So I never, never got it. So whenever I do these, it's just by voice. There you go, hiding, hiding from the world. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. So I know. Uh, no. So why, why don't we get uh, started and? Uh, yeah, I'll uh, send you the photo after. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, just want to welcome everybody back to the pub. It's been. Uh, Quite a long summer, but uh, a bit of a break, but it's been fantastic, and uh, we're getting going here again with uh, a man that I met uh, late late in June, Rich from Pennsylvania. Welcome, Rich. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name properly? I don't want to screw that up. Well, that's, that's a loaded question. So properly is warning. But we pronounce it improperly. We say Bioni. Bioni. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, I, but, I went to... But if Italians would know the right pronunciation is Buoni. Okay. Well, I'm going for lunch at the Italian club so I can say it, say it properly say, when I... Exactly. Say it. They'll <laughs> know. this they'll guy. It. It, 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 in English, it means good. It means all these things are good. Like my spirit, Sean. There you go. Yes, yes. So, uh, so for the audience, uh, I was down at the Melbourne Retreat Society or Retreat right. House with yeah. my good friend Dave C. Sean, and uh, we were just waiting for things to get started. So him and I went for a walk and ended up at the distillery, being that I have to do research for this show, A Dram with Friends, and... Uh, you were kind enough to open the door for us as the rain started coming in down, and uh, <laughs> and we 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 came in and tried some of your spirits. Yeah, that was terrific. Absolutely. Yeah. What a what a that was a really a nice visit. Actually, I was not yes. expecting that. And uh, I'm going to pour myself because your the whiskey I bought from you did not make it back to Canada, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm going to pour myself. A redemption bourbon that I picked up this summer. So, all right, uh, very good. And we all need a little redemption, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, for our friends in the audience, who is Rich Bioni? 
Well, uh, I'm a friendly guy. Uh, my background is, I think, as I, I think I might have explained some of this to you guys when you were here. I am a chemical engineer. I have over 39 years of global experience. I retired as an executive at the age of 52 in 2016, and I decided to do this. And now I'm in my 60th year. I am the chief cook and bottle washer here. I'm the only one who works in my distillery. I have no helpers. Uh, I employ bartenders and salespeople. I make uh, nine spirits. Eight of them are available. One I haven't released yet, which is my second single malt whiskey, which is a, a, going to be a limited release. I, I make, think I need one of those. So. Yeah, it, it's really <laughs> nice. It's really, really, really. It's made with five specialty uh, malted barleys. And um, I, I think, you know, what kind of makes Pennsylvania Distilling Company a little bit unique uh, now that there's, I guess, over 2,000 craft distilleries in, the, in our country, in the United States, I don't know how many there are in Canada, uh, is that I only, I source all of my grains and malts from small farms in Pennsylvania exclusively, and they're all non-GMO. So I don't buy any third-party spirits, not even GNS. I make it. So I make everything right here. I do it the hard way. I do it one batch at a time. And there aren't too many out there that do that, Sean, to be honest with you. A lot of no. guys are buying from MGP, CIS, Ultra Pure, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why, frankly, a lot of the whiskeys taste the same. Unfortunately, I, I wish a lot more guys would do it my way. Uh, and, but anyway, that's the way I chose to do it. Um, I'm a supporter of, of local businesses, and since I'm a small local business in Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area, I support our local small farms, and my maltster is local as well. So I pay a lot for more for my ingredients. But I know that I cannot uh, compete with the large manufacturers on cost. That would be stupid. But I can compete in a space that they can't, and that is my story. And I am a true craft distiller, and my products are truly unique. I make no Me Too products, and mine are really, really high in quality. Difficult for them to match. I do one batch at a time. I really know what I'm doing. I made my first batch of beer in 1980, so I'm an expert at beer making, which I think is critically important if you want to make a good spirit, because after all, you have to make beer to make spirits. And that's what I do. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, we do have some craft distilleries throughout Canada. I don't know the number. They've been popping up like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, I visited uh, a few on my uh, on my rounds up here. I, I got uh, to one where it was a, a couple from Germany where the guy couldn't believe all the fruit was being left on the ground rotting when he arrived as an immigrant. And he... Uh, so in BC, there's a lot of apple orchards and, and stuff like that. So he started collecting all the that stuff and, and creating whiskey out of it or spirits. And uh, so he's got a lot of different spirits there at Maple Leaf. And then on our motorcycle ride this summer, we were we got close to you. We were a little north. Uh, the closest we got was Maine. Uh, but we went out to one called Glen Breton Distillery on 
Cape Breton Island, and it's one of the older ones in Canada that uh, is making some really nice single malt uh, whiskeys. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, <clears throat> I know you like to travel around, which is great. Um, and British Columbia is beautiful. I've, I've, uh, as I, as I explained to you before, I've spent, you know, a fair amount of time in the beautiful country of Canada and both on business and I like to hunt and fish as well. So, you know, I've been, I've been in the Quebec or where as they call it, Quebec, uh, Ontario, uh, Manitoba, uh, Alberta, um, you know, I don't know if I've ever been to British Columbia, though, but I always had it on my radar, and I, don't, I may not have been. I know I've flown through it. Well, you've been to God's country in Alberta. That, that's good enough. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have such a beautiful, large country, and there's no shortage of hunting and fishing up here. So, Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, I... I, uh, some of the, my favorite places were up there and, and, uh, of course I, I hunt in Alaska a number of times, which is beautiful as well. And, you know, all through, all through the U S and, um, Africa and, and other places as well. But yeah, Canada is, is really beautiful. So, uh, what, what made you decide to get into distilling, uh, after your, after I, left industry, after I left industry, well, in industry, I was, uh, <clears throat> I did a lot of things. So I spent seven years in, in chemicals and then 10 years in petroleum, uh, working in an oil refinery for the most part uh, in operations. Um, then I spent 12 years at Deloitte uh, as a management consultant. And then I was in, um, in upper management for a couple of companies for seven years. And then I left industry and I, I started working when I was 12. So, um, I knew I had to keep working. I like to work. It does make me happy. Um, so I'm kind of one of those oddballs. And, uh, so I work every day, uh, and, um, and I enjoy it in 19, uh, I was getting my MBA in the early nineties. And um, I put a business plan together for a brew pub. I was going to open a brew pub here in the area. And I got real close with it. It was going to happen in 94. And it all kind of fell apart. You know, I wasn't ready to leave my career. And, and, and my buddy I grew up with, uh, his, you know, things just happened on his side where he really couldn't do it. He couldn't leave his corporate job. So it just, he had the hotel and restaurant management degree. So it just kind of fell apart. Oh, by the way, we were, we had our, we had our equipment picked out, uh, and it was from British Columbia. There you so, go. Yeah. So, so, um, fast forward, you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe and in Asia and especially in Europe, I'd be sitting in a beer garden in Germany or in a bar in Brussels or wherever, enjoying some delicious European beers. And I once in a while I would think, you know, I wonder what would have happened if I had opened that that brew pub because back in the early '90s, that would have been one of the first. It, 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 the, yeah. That scene kind of started west and came east. And um, anyway, uh, when I when I left industry, I looked at it. I said, you know, I think there's 
I just think there's just too many uh, breweries and brew pubs. There's over 9,400 of them now in the States. Wow. And, and it looks to me, I don't know if this is true, but it looks to me that the number of closings has gone up. Uh, it's ticked up. So I knew that uh, in this state of Pennsylvania, because the U.S. has some really wacky uh, liquor laws, and it varies from each state. All the 50 states has their own liquor code. And, uh, you know, it's federally regulated uh, as well as state. And it's a three-tier system, and it's pretty rigged, to be honest with you. It's hard for a small guy. But uh, what I said is, you know, we had a governor who made some changes to the liquor code, and then we had the next governor who continued to make some changes, and it really allowed a small outfit like mine to, to happen. So that's why I started uh, Pennsylvania Distilling Company. I also call it Penn Distilling. And that was, I did the plan in 2016 and the build out in 17 into 18. I made my first batch of whiskey. It was a rye whiskey, May of 2018. And then I opened my cocktail bar August of that year. And then a year and a half later, the pandemic hit. So it was, it was you know, that brought a lot of challenges, especially the bar. You know, my bottle sales, thank God, have always been, been good, but the bar, my bar really got hurt with the pandemic. So anyway, um, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a, a fun journey, an interesting journey. I like to make spirits. I'm a chemical engineer. It's really second nature to me. Uh, well, Jeepers, I was operations guy in, in an oil refinery. Distillation is really, really, really simple for me. I used to design uh, distillation trays, distillation columns, and they're some of the easiest unit operations to design and, and, and run. Uh, when you look at all the unit operations from a chemical engineering standpoint, although the, you know the typical layperson sees it and they they think there's a, there's there it's complex. Uh, certainly, spirits are significantly more complex uh, than beer and wine. Beer and wine are very simple to make, very simple. The hard thing about uh, wine is growing the grapes. That's really hard. That's 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 hard science, and it's hard to make good grapes. Uh, beer, very easy, but a lot of guys screw it up uh, because they just don't have the science background. They really don't know what they're doing. Um, but anyway, I, that's really what led me to do this. I said, you know, I'm just, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. The timing is pretty good. I think I'll, I'll do that. And now I make probably too many SKUs. I make nine. Uh, and I make them all myself from scratch. Uh, the only thing wow. that I can't source from Pennsylvania because we can't grow sugarcane this far north uh, is my molasses. I use two grades for my gold rum, but I get those from the Dominican Republic, and they're also non-GMO. So uh, that's the way I do it, Sean. Um, that's, that's one, very one, one guy at, a, at an ADI conference asked me once. <laughs> we were sitting around a table. This was down in Baltimore, and all the guys at our lunch table were talking about where they're going to buy their spirits, you know, where they're going to buy their GNS. All the guys are talking. And then the guy next to me asked me, where are you going to buy yours? I said, I'm not going to buy mine. I'm going to make it. And he looks at me like I'm living on Mars, and he says, what's the matter? You don't like to make money? <laughs> and I said, I'm not getting into this business just because of that. Obviously, I want to make money so the business can, can succeed, but I want to make my spirits. 
I don't want yeah. to put somebody else's spirits in the bottle and say they're mine. Blending is a joke. Some of the guys say, oh, we blend. It's a joke. Blending's a joke. It's a joke. Anybody can blend. Anybody. A, a child can blend. That's nothing. Blending is nothing. And there's no such thing as an expert taster. Those people don't exist. We're all tasters. Everybody, all, all 8 billion of us are tasters. <laughs> there's no such thing as an expert taster. So, you know, the organoleptic sense is unique to the individual, Sean. It's as unique as a fingerprint, and we all taste differently. And it includes the olf olfactory sense in the palate. So when you go to a, a tasting and the guy tells you what you should taste, that's the first indication that he probably doesn't know what he's talking about. You'll taste what you taste. I do many tours and tastings here in my distillery. They're very popular. And I can pour my bourbon or my rye whiskey or my sing, it doesn't matter what. And I'll get many different uh, uh, feedbacks from all the people drinking the exact same thing. And that's the way it is. That's that's what it is. That's the real deal. Well, and you, yeah, you bring up interesting points where, because uh, I'm surprised, because I'll do a Lita whiskey tasting or whatever, and you've got... Uh, some space side, you've got some Irish whiskey, you got some Isla, and so you'd expect the. We were on our motorcycle ride with Bishop Scott visiting uh, the Mont Petits, and and I'm thinking the the lady wants to try some whiskey, so I'm going here try this uh, Glendalock whiskey. It's very nice, very approachable, and uh, and then. Bishop Scott goes, no, you gotta, you gotta try this Isla whiskey. And she liked the Isla whiskey the most, which was like you say, you can't tell somebody what they like and don't like. Right. So no, no, to each his own. It's really up to the individual. There's uh, it, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not an objective thing. It's very subjective. And that's why, uh, for instance, while not, you know, I, I'm proud of all my spirits because I make them the right way. And I make, I create all my own recipes conceptually. I conceptualize all of them, then I make them. And I don't refer to anybody else's. I don't care what anybody else is doing, frankly, to be honest with you. I make my own spirits. As long as I conform to the constraints and guidelines in the beverage alcohol manual, the U.S. beverage alcohol manual, and in other uh, uh, guidelines, then everything is good for me. But for instance, you know, my bourbon, for instance, in bur U.S., the people are bourbon crazy. Out of my eight available spirits, it's almost half of my bottle sales. And my bourbon, of course, as you know, is, is a tribute to my father, my dad, who's 88 now. His name is Dewey. And that is um, a pretty unique recipe. It's, it's, it's Wapsie Valley corn, Bloody Butcher corn, two-row winter wheat. Uh, triticale and pale ale malted barley. And, uh, you know, I usually have to explain to people what triticale is, but, you know, it, a lot of spirits is about educating people because there's so much baloney out there. There really is. There's just a huge amount of baloney and stories out there that are not true. They're simply not true. A lot of that comes from the large manufacturers. Obviously, it's part of their marketing thing. And I set the record straight with at least the people that come to my tours and tastings because I demystify everything for them. So you, 
that's interesting you talk about your dad and uh and you named your bourbon after him uh and that's what we got talking about was the role of a father and, and a man within uh our faith and society and and i know dave bought the bottle of the dewey uh he's more of a bourbon guy and i i, I bought your single malt and uh and they were both fantastic, so that's why make sure you put one of those single malts aside in the next batch. How do you? Uh, how important was it to have uh, a dad with a positive as a positive role model? Oh my god! Yeah, that's geez, it, it, boy. <laughs> uh, it, it really is so critical, just so critical, and. In today's society, I can't speak for what's going on in Canada, but in the U.S., especially in the cities, so many young boys don't have true fathers. They have biological fathers, but they don't have fathers. And it shows, it shows there's lots and lots and lots of problems in our cities. Philly's the fourth biggest city in the country. And it's just... I always tell people like this, if, you, if you're a type A guy like me, a little bit on the aggressive side, like to goof around as a youngster, if you don't have a father there, because part of that love component is the firm hand, that's love. It's not just do whatever you want to do. It's this is how you, you're a man. This is what it means to be a man. Of course, my dad led by example because he... He was a concrete mason for 59 years, and that's tough, tough, tough work for 59 years. And me and my two brothers worked for my father as youngsters, 12, 13, 14, 15, doing concrete work. And uh, we were fortunate. We were lucky. We grew up very humbly, but we had that. When I see the youngsters, especially the boys, grow up without fathers, Without real fathers, no, it's lots of problems. My gosh, there's so many problems. They just don't know what it is to be a man. They just really don't know. So they do whatever they want. They live on the streets. They, they follow the idiot, and they get into all sorts of trouble. And they think that that's normal, but it's not normal. And in this country, sadly... Um, the people with loud voices are trying to tell everybody, well, you don't need a father. You don't need a family. You know, the, the village will take care of you. No, they won't. The village doesn't care about you. <laughs> the village yeah. doesn't care about you. Your yeah. parents do. Your brothers and sisters do. The village doesn't. <laughs> the people that are in that village, they got their own kids to worry about. So, you know, it's just crazy what's going on, what's being taught in schools, and it's just stupidity. It's sheer stupidity. Uh, it's well, it's going to come back. The pendulum's going to swing back. It will. We can't get away from what we are. We're human beings. And human beings, since the dawn of time, have families. Have families. So we'll, 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 we'll continue to make that a priority and when you look at also in our society i saw a um, i don't do much on the social media unless it's my business you know of course i'm yeah. marketing social media but i don't follow anybody do anything nothing like that and 
I saw something come across one day, sadly, in this country. I never thought I'd see it, that the number of uh, atheists in the U.S. is more than 20 percent of the population now. That's scary. That's yep. very scary. When you raise your kids godless, for whatever reason you do it, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems because then there has to be something there. And today what I'm saying is that money is God. Yeah. And, boy, and boy, does that make people sad. Boy, does that make people do stupid things. Believe me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. And, but I, I was no saint, John. Believe me. I was a little <laughs> rascal. I like to get myself into trouble and do goofy things. But if uh, I was always respectful of my parents and if my father had to get involved, then I was fearful. <laughs> Let me just put it to you that way. <laughs> well, you, you bring up lots of interesting things. And, and I, I do believe that pendulum is swinging back. Like when we met you, we were there for a retreat with men leaders from across North America and just seeing them on fire leaving there and going back recharged ready to to light the fire in their area but you you also talked about the dignity of work is what i'm hearing because you talked about having to work when you retired and unfortunately and your dad taught you that dignity of work by inviting you into his work and that is lost on so many young men and they need those challenges those kick kick in the ass and that's why the gangs thrive because they feel like they belong to something right yeah there's absolutely sadly i think that um too many people think that the definition of success is being the richest man in the cemetery or the richest woman in the cemetery and that's really sad. You, I try to counsel young people. It's okay to make good money. That's good. That means you're doing something that you're working hard at and you're getting rewarded. But please don't put it as your number one objective. You know, I want to be a millionaire. I want. Listen, you're just going to get sad. Uh, work is the important thing, and whatever you choose to do, whatever vocation it is, and I don't. I really don't care what it is. I don't care if it's an engineer, a, uh, a dentist, a, uh, a plumber, an electrician, a guy who, who picks up trash, he, he's on the back of the trash truck, uh, a janitor, whatever it is. We need all those people. We need all of those people. Just do the job to the best of your ability. Take pride in doing the job to the best of your ability. That's the most important thing. And that means don't give up. You know, put your best effort in. And yeah, it's okay to switch. If you don't think that this is the right thing for you, then move on. Do something else. The important thing is continue to challenge yourself. Make yourself better. Learn things from people who know, not from morons. Don't learn things from the internet. Don't learn things from social media. That's a lot of stupidity, a lot of followers with big voices. Don't be a follower to a follower. Find people who know, usually people in your family or maybe some friends, but people with experience and learn from them. They know. They know. And they're not going to BS you. So, you know, I always tell people, 
you know, the big story in this country, which is apt, I have three world class college degrees, right? Yep. The, the, the big, the big th- lie in this country has been for the last 25 to 30 years well, your children can't be successful unless they have a college degree. Well, that's the biggest lie I ever heard in my life. I always felt that way. No. Why would you tell your child to go to school if they don't care about school? You know, let's put it to you this way. A lot of the youngsters that I went to school with, and this is the same for everybody, they don't really care about learning in school. They want to learn a different way. You know, for whatever reason, they just, you know, okay, so they're C students, some of them flunk out, whatever it is. Well, you can't take those guys and and get them into into college and hope that maybe the switch turns on and all of a sudden they're going to become these fantastic students. What's going to happen is they're going to be sad. They're not going to do well. They're going to struggle. They're going to get loaded up with debt. And then when they graduate, nobody's going to hire them for the job that they thought that they were trying to 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 train for. I wouldn't hire them. (laughs) I can tell you that. And I hired a lot of people. So I try to tell people, listen, you got to figure out what you're good at. Talk to some people if you need to, some older people. And if you don't, if you're not a studious person, go get a trade. Get a trade. We need tradespeople. This country is poor, 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 poor on tradespeople, especially the young people. I mean, I just because I'm a I grew up in a blue collar family. I could do a lot of things myself. I just can't believe the ineptness of these young people. They just don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to do anything. The simplest stuff. And I just am thinking, what did they ever do when they were growing up? Weren't they given chores? What did their parents do to them? They just let them on their own and go play on the video, go play on the, or did they tell them, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta, here's your jobs. You gotta take care of these things. I, I suspect it's the former, not the latter. Well, that's not a good way to raise your children. You got to learn the value of work when you're young. It, it's not something that just turns on when you're like 20 years old. No, by then it's too late. By then you've trained yourself to be lazy, to give up. You've trained your brain to be lazy and give up. Well, and that's, yeah. We're... You know, work is so important because it's a huge component of what I call good pride. You know, you got to be careful with pride, obviously, because it can it can be an evil thing. Uh, but it, it, for me, if you want something that's going to incentivize you as an individual, if you feel good that you want to contribute to society in a good way, in a meaningful way, but a little way, then take pride in your work. Because as I tell the young people, which surprises the heck out of them, Life is more than 90% work, and it's 10% play. But they think it's flipped around. They want it to be 90% play, 10% work. No, 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 no. It's not like that. That's maybe the communist country. That's not here. That's not our system. you got to work. Plus, if you work hard, regardless of what you do, that 10% of play that you enjoy, you will really enjoy it. You will really enjoy it, as opposed to just doing stupid things because you're taking it for granted. So work is so critically important, uh, Sean, even for youngsters who think, oh, you know, I had this summer job, I cut lawns, I'm not learning every, anything. Yes, they are, of course they're learning something. You're always learning something. You're learning how to work on a small team. You have a job, 
You're getting paid to do a certain job. Is the job good? Is it not good? You're being evaluated all the time. That's life. Life is, is evalu being evaluated. And uh, you're, it's, it's a test to, to your ability to be able to do the things that you're being paid to do. And uh, so, therefore, you know, everything that you do as you uh, go through this life, I think there's always opportunities to learn. There's always opportunities to improve yourself a little bit. And then last, there's always opportunities to pass that on to younger people uh, because as you get older, they start hopefully start to look to you for advice or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, work is yeah. Work is so, so important. It's not everything, obviously, but it's so important. And that's why it's important for men to take the opportunities to mentor younger men and help them uh, when they see it. So one of the things that I often ask is, uh, is, there a, is there a dad dish that, uh, that keeps the family coming back to the table that you, you make, or is it just whiskey that you make? <laughs> oh, you mean literally? Yeah. Well, um, so my parents uh, came here <clears throat> from Italy in 1949, so I'm a first-generation American. And my father, uh, of course, didn't speak the language when he came here. He learned the language, uh, uh, you know, he was 14, but they put him in, uh, I think, first or second grade in Catholic school when he was 14, because he didn't know the language. Plus, you know, he didn't have much education because the, the war was going on where he was in Italy and the Nazis controlled the area. It was a tough uh, way to be a youngster. And he had first met his dad when he came here, when he was 14, because his mom and dad were, were separated because of the war. His dad was here, but his mom didn't have dual citizenship, so he, she got stuck there. It's an interesting story. N nevertheless, um, he, he, um, he got an eighth grade <coughs> education and went right into uh, masonry because uh, the Italians back then were most of our Masons in this country. And, uh, you know, like his brother was a bricklayer, his other brother was a stone guy, he had another brother who did uh, the carpentry, and, uh, you know, they were all tradesmen. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. And my it's the father, same here. Yeah, same there. And my father was a concrete guy, and they're still around. My folks are married 68 years. Wow. And we grew up very humbly. Um but we learned a lot of valuable lessons. My father's a quiet guy, but he learns by, he teaches by example. And uh, we grew up in what's called a tiny little row home in, in the Philadelphia area, six of us. And he put food on the table and he sent us all to Catholic school, all four of us. Hey, Sean, give me a second. I'm gonna just run this out to the UPS guy. Yeah, yeah, you were saying that he would be showing up. Go ahead. And uh, as you can see, these are live in the pub. It's just like two guys sitting in a pub where sometimes you got to deal with life. Uh, but I hope you're enjoying our visit here with Rich. Uh, he's quite the character. Dave and I had a, a short visit. We would have stayed all day, but we had to get back to the retreat and... Uh, would have loved to spend more time with Rich. I'm back, uh, Sean. There he is. 
So, so yeah, we, we went, uh, you know, me and my brothers and sisters went to St. Bernadette's and then we went to Catholic high schools. I went to an all boys school and my sister to an all girls. It was just separated by a sidewalk. Uh, Monsignor Bonner High School and Archbishop Prendergast High School. And back in those days, the classes were quite large because there were a lot more Catholics in our area back then. Uh, today, the school is, the schools were, have, are combined now, and um, they're much smaller class sizes. Everything's tinier because people have moved out more into the, what used to be the country is now the suburbs. So things have changed over the years but you know we 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 got we got a great really great education um and learned a lot of valuable things uh, i think in parochial school my wife went to uh the 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 neighboring uh, public school and uh well you know obviously i'm biased but i think that our education was significantly better there you go yeah so what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Because as we talked about, a lot of these young guys are struggling. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Yeah, wow. Um, well, I think probably, I, you know, I, 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 I think I would probably say, hey, you know, why don't you... Um, go and get some advice from maybe some counselors in high school or some other folks that the older folks just to kind of help you a little bit navigate some of the things that you're going to be uh, coming across because I was the kind of kid that bootstrapped everything you know I never talked to a counselor I didn't even know who the counselors were and I never got any advice from older people I kind of just did it on my own and um that's probably not the best approach. I mean, I think some of us can do that because we tend to be, you know, I, I guess I've always been real sure about my what I wanted to do. Uh, but most of us are not like that. And it never helps to get some advice. You know, it just never, I mean, it never hurts to get some advice from people that you respect. I probably should have done that. I mean, I don't have regrets, Sean, about the paths that I took. Uh, I don't have any regrets. I guess probably my only one maybe is you know you go through life so quickly and i don't have children i got 13 nep nephews and nieces but um you know things happen for a reason i guess so that's kind of you know kind of where we are i am glad that i'm a head i'm a distiller here at uh, Pen pennsylvania distilling company though <laughs> <laughs> there you go yes yes if you are in the philadelphia area go to pen distilling uh so you talked about your Catholic upbringing and, and faith. So my buddy, Jeff Cavins, when we ride our motor, he's got a book called the activated disciple. And we talk about riding our motorcycles and you ride with your posse. Who are your go-to saints? Who are the ones that you would, uh, call or if you need some help? I think, um, St. Bernadette, you know, because that's really, you know, part of my indoctrination, if you will, in a good way, uh, growing up. Uh, also, uh, St. Francis, I know there were a number of uh, St. Francis's, but St. Francis of Assisi. And I also um, would like to do a call out to Pope John Paul 
The second, uh, who is, who is uh, now a saint, I had a lot of respect for him when he was here, and I still do. I just think he was a wonderful uh, human being, and he did so much for so many people. Uh, and he grew up, uh, you know, in a hard way, with a hard life. But he was such a, just such a kind human being, and he showed that all the time, every day. Um, I, I would say they're, they're probably the most, but I think my go-to is I, I, I'm, I, I pray daily. And I think I go pretty much go straight to the man. You know, I go, I go right to the big guy. I, I almost always, I mean, the Blessed Mother for sure, there's no doubt about that. But I always go straight to the big man. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I don't know if you know, but you, you, you might, that uh, the term uh, whiskey from the Gaelic is Ishkabaha, which means water of life. And uh, I pray that you continue to make your whiskey and lead many to the true water of life. Thank you for coming and visiting us in the pub. Well, thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation. And the next time you find yourself in the Philadelphia area, well, Jeepers, stop on by. You got my, you have my contact information. And if I could ever get away from this distillery and maybe go out and hunt again, uh, if I'm ever in your neck of the woods, I'll be sure to look you up. Absolutely. Please do. And uh, thank you again. And yes, do put aside a bottle of your uh, next batch. I'll Just be, out I'll... of interest, uh, how long do your batches go? And do you have some hiding in the back that are going to be a little older? I do. Age to, age I do. I, I do. You know, I'm a small, small producer yeah. because I don't uh, purchase any, any spirits. Um, I have uh, one barrel that I've uh, forgot about, and it's a rye whiskey because I am a rye guy. I'm a rye whiskey. I like. I love rye whiskey, and I, after all, Pennsylvania is rye whiskey. And uh, so I put a barrel uh, away, and it's it's been there, you know, from the beginning. And I'm not going to harvest it, at least not in the foreseeable future. Um, but just that barrel. Uh, the second single malt whiskey that I made is made from five specialty. Uh, malted barleys. Um, the last time I tasted it, it's it's in the barrels now. Around, there's only six barrels, about three years. The last time I tasted it, it really is, my gosh, it's fantastic. It'll knock your socks off. And I don't know at this point if I'm going to do cask strength or if I'm going to go ahead and proof it to a bottle proof. I'll figure that out. I haven't applied for the COLA yet, the Certificate of Label Approval. Well, Jeepers, I haven't even created the, picked the bottle, and I create all my own labels. I haven't created the label yet. So I need to do all that, uh, and that's coming. I was hoping to do it this fall, uh, but here we are, uh, two days, I think, from fall. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm going to try because it really is good, and I know I can harvest some. And once I announce it, I don't think it's going to last that long. There's only six barrels. Uh, but we're going to give that, and I'll put one, I'll put one away for you. And we're going to give, that that, be- yeah, we're going to give that a crack. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll announce that on social media uh, and, um, you know, or the normal channels that we kind of go through uh, when, that, when that's ready to go. Awesome. 
Well, thank you again, and we will hopefully see you soon. I'm going to press stop on this recording. Sounds good. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dram with Friends. Like and subscribe. Go to all podcast platforms to look for it on podcast, or go to godsquad.ca to support our mission.